Thank you for listening to this episode of Great Minds, a podcast from Advertising Week presented by Think with Google. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to check out Industry Spotlights by Think with Google, available now on our website at advertisingweek.com slash Google. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is Michelle Bandler. And Michelle has an incredible job as we sit here in this age of digital transformation. Many people talk about being at the crossroads of digital transformation, but Michelle truly is, where she serves as managing director of Tech B2B at Google. So Michelle, a hearty welcome to you on this glorious August day. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited exci- to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. So, Michelle, I want to start going forward by going backwards a little bit. And I want to go way back to the late 90s. Are you ready? Mm. Okay. okay. Not music trivia, but we're going back I to know, the- I know, that might have been better. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to take a shot. And I'd love to talk about one of the special companies- uh, of our world that has evolved so differently uh, than what it was then, but has remained influential. And that's Liberty Media. Ah. Remembrances of your early, early tenure, fresh out of college, uh, Illinois, yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at Liberty Media. Oh, that was a doozy. I will tell you, I have some crazy stories from, from being there. So, um, I came into Liberty Media from an acquisition, which was Triumph Communications. It was a satellite and circuit company. And that was actually like my first like real job job um, where we would put together news contribution and distribution schemes for broadcasters. Um, and I worked in the US for quite a while. I was, I was based out of New York until uh, my boss at the time took me, this is a crazy story took me across the pond to start to build something called the the London switch, which was to compete with BT telecom. And (laughs) I'm like fresh out of school. We go and we're meeting with all of these chief engineering officers of all these different broadcast uh, networks and cutting deals with them to get them into the switch. And as like a young business development woman, I went in there and basically kind of took over the meeting, which I, it was, I don't, don't know what I was thinking, but I was really young and dumb. Took over the meeting, got, I believe it was ABC News to sign up for this switch, right? To, to get all their news programming through the switch from AP and, and writers. And um, my boss was like, wow, that was, uh, that, was, that was really something, Michelle. Since you seem to really have this, uh, this on lockdown, why don't you just stay here? And then you just come back when you've signed everybody up, like all the broadcasters. And then he left and I stayed. Okay, so let's stop for a second now, because (laughs) I'm going to guess that you're about 22, 23 years old at this time. Yeah, totally. Okay, okay. So just stay (laughs) with me, Michelle. So no one who's 22 and 23, fresh out of school, a greenhorn, as my grandfather would say, um, can jump into that frying pan and not only not get burned, but thrive 
and get elevated. What were you doing in college? What were you doing in your teen <laughs> years that prepared you for this yeah. assault up the ladder? <laughs> well, I will tell you that I immediately broke out into hives and called my mother. <laughs> it was like, oh my God. Um, I, you know what I think it's like, it's just, I think I might've been like a little bit young and dumb and having just a lot of like confidence. And I kind of like swung for the fences and I was like, what's like the expectations when you're 23 are pretty low. So if you go and you do something big, he was like, all right, he had nothing to lose. I was young. I was cheap. Like this wasn't like sending some big executive. Like if I told you how much I made at that time, you'd laugh. I mean, it was, I was like, you know, still bordering on eating ramen noodles. So I don't think it was, he took a big, you know, he, he had nothing to lose and I had nothing to lose. Mm, fantastic story. And you got to live in London. Yes, that was great. Yeah, I just made my first trip uh, in quite some time and I'm going to London in mid-September. Oh, that's the best. Uh, yes. for, yeah, Advertising Week Europe, we, we love it there. And our, the Google team over there is great, by the way. So, okay, so let's, so let's, so let's keep going. So you uh, advance, you are getting business done in London yeah. for Liberty. Uh, mm -hmm. And somewhere along the lines, you end up at one of the iconic brands that this country's ever produced, Wrigley. Yes. So I had, a, you know, while I was working at Liberty, I remember I had met with the chief engineering officer of CNN and he and I were having dinner together. And he said to me at the time, you should really go work in the, on the, like go work in the internet, like go work for Google. But it was like before, like Google was just barely going public. Um, and I was like, eh, I don't know. And I had been living in New York. I moved back to Chicago, which is where I'm from. Um, and so I needed a, a, a job in Chicago, which is how I ended up at Wrigley. And what a great job that was. Like the idea of doing change management is something that like set me up, I think truly for success at Google, for success anywhere, because change is like, if you can do change well, and you understand like how to know A, how to solve the right problem, and then how to sort of sequence it, like what is what are the, what are the, what is the problem you need to solve? What is the series of decisions that need to happen? What is the sequence of change that you want to roll out? What is the pace of change you want to roll out? How do you manage all of it? Like that is, I learned so much there. And change in 2002 and what that means uh, in terms of, you know, where you're spending a lot of time now with Google in that digital transformation space, change management then meant something very different. Totally. Back then it was all processes, right? You would go, okay, from marketing back to R&D, you would look at all the processes and you would think you would go, okay, like, how do we streamline this? How do we make it faster and more efficient and like, and, and clean up the supply chain? Um, now change management is very, very different. And especially in the tech age and the type of change uh, that we deal with now is both organizational it is tech. It is tech change. It is everything. It's 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 a whole different can of worms. And were you a big? This is almost sounds like a silly question. Were you a big tech person? Were you an early adapter? Did you embrace it? Did you like it? Were you interested by it? Would you read about stuff? You know, just because it interested you in technology. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I think you have to have like uh, a definitely like a curiosity about it. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I came to Google, but not because I just thought it was actually my husband's idea. My husband was, um, was working for a hedge fund out here and he's an old Goldman Sachs guy and, and very, um, he's very quanty and was like, this, this is a really interesting company, which is how I, how I actually ended up at Google. That's a great story. So we're going to go to your beginning of your tenure at, at Google shortly, but let's stay in the Midwest for a moment. Uh, I find there's a certain grittiness and a certain boldness um, that's baked into people uh, from Chicago, from that part of the country. Can you talk about that and how, you know, being from that great, great city, how that helped shape you? Oh, God, I love Chicago. So, um, yeah, I mean, my, my, I, you know, I grew up in Chicago, north of the city. I wouldn't say I had it. I, you know, I don't know if I would say that I had like a very gritty upbringing. I was from the North shore of Chicago. Um, but my, my mother came from the South side and, you know, had a father that had two jobs, one of which was like selling carpets door to door. Um, so, so definitely some, you know, some, some grittiness there. Um, and, and really just grew up like, you know, learning the value and the importance of hard work, like, you just do like that, that gets you through everything. And I'm, I'm so, I've got two kids um, and we have a, we have something, I just did like prep school interviews for my son. And I was writing about the sign that we have on our, on our cork board in the kitchen that says habit equals hard work over, oh crap, habit, anyway, habit and hard work equals, oh, habit plus hard work equals success. That like you just like get in the habit of doing hard work all the time and that um, it almost becomes easier because you've done it for so long, almost like exercising, but, you know, with everything. Yeah. Incredible work ethic uh, out of that part of the country. And what, what town, totally. in the, what town in the north did you grow up in? Oh, I grew up in Deerfield. OK. Uh, and my, my father still lives there. He's on Lake Forest. Yeah. My one of my best friends is a pediatrician. It lives in Deerfield. Uh, t- today and uh, Dr. Scott Taxman and oh, uh, and he grew up in Wilmette so we used to go there and spend a lot of time oh, sure. up there and, and loved yep. it up there yeah great great part of the country great place to grow up Agreed. so uh, off a hot lead from your husband you yes. r- wrangle yourself a job uh, working in the big box arena at Google yeah yes let me tell you how I got the job. This is crazy. So this is what getting a job at Google used to be literally 16 and a half years ago. But I'm prefacing this and saying that, like, thank goodness our hiring practices are not like this at all anymore. So I don't want to like put, you know, I don't want anyone to get intimidated. But when I originally applied, I had to fill out a mental acuity test, which I did pass the mental acuity test, which had like a lot of math and like all kinds of other you know questions on it. And then um, I had 16 interviews. So by the time, it was crazy. Um, and it was, it was very intense. And after that, they were like, you know what? I think that we should revise our hiring processes. These are, these are a little much. Oh my gosh, 16 interviews. 16. And you were straddling sort of the emerging force of online, but also clients and customers that were still very engaged and are still today in offline. Yeah. So, 
I mean, that was really, you know, retail was really the first big econ, you know, I mean, it is like the powerhouse of e-commerce, but that was, um, that was a really, really big business for Google. It still is because you can imagine that if you are a retailer, you can close the loop. We can actually, you know, you can, you can see their revenue data. It's very easy to understand how to run a digital marketing program effectively uh, and efficient and, and efficiently. That being said, you know, there is a huge I remember at the time I looked after circuit, one of my accounts was Circuit City, and I remember watching them in 2008 go bankrupt. But even then, they were, I want to say, a billion dollar company, maybe 100 million of that was still e-commerce. And that was in 2008. So one of the things uh, when we got the opportunity, Richard, on our team uh, surfaced to talk to you that I was excited about was you've been with the same company for a long time. That yes. make that makes you an outlier. And it's something that you and I share. I've been doing the same thing I've been doing now for right about the same time, going back to when you started at the Wrigley company in 2002. That's how long I've been doing advertising week. Wow. So I, I love talking to someone else who sort of had the same email address as long as I have. <laughs> And when you were beginning your tenure at Google, I guess then working out in New York. Yes, always out of New York. Uh, you, you know, what the role of digital was and what Google's role was. You're still a few years away from the acquisition of YouTube. Yeah. So many of the other areas, Android was not an idea uh -huh. yet. Uh, yeah. So talk about what the company was then and where Google fit into the broader ecosystem of American commerce. Well, I mean, in the very beginning, Google, I mean, it was just, it was a search engine into a lot of people. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a search engine and things were, things were, were, I wouldn't say they were relatively simple, but I would say that when we look at back then, we used to launch campaigns off of spreadsheets Right. And like everything that happens, you know, at a, at a big tech firm and kind of digital transformation is, in essence, this idea of going, what can be digitized and what could be automated? And I think Google did two things, one of which was they started to think about what are ways that they can be useful to people all over the world in every different dimension to help make their lives better. And then on the back end to support those things like, you know, whether it's YouTube or Android or the way that we sort of run everything, you go, what could we potentially start to automate? So we went from launching campaigns out of Excel spreadsheets to tools and APIs and finally getting to a place where, frankly, like, you know, advertisers can almost do everything on their own and, you know, having all these ML driven powered tools and features for people to run their advertising campaigns. I mean, things just that is digital transformation. So let's stay in this, you know, sort of part of your career continuum, if you will. Uh, one of the great joys of our partnership with Google is I get to go out to the West Coast every once in a while in normal times. Yeah. And yeah. I remember going to Mountain View pretty early on. You know, we started Advertising Week. Uh, we started working on it in 2002, but the first one was 2004. So we developed relationships with Google very early on. And I was fortunate, again, enough to go out to Mountain View, you know, 2006, 7, 8, somewhere around yeah. there. 
and I was struck by the campus. What are your remembrances of that first visit that you had to the campus? Oh, wow. It was like going to Mecca. <laughs> it's like, I had never seen anything like it. And now, of course, there's like campuses all over Northern California, right? So you can go to the cloud. There's, I mean, even campus is 10 times bigger and there's 10 more campuses than there were back then. But um, I thought it was just like the coolest thing. I, I was really, really, really blown away. I mean, just it's just like, it's like going to college kind of, you know, like... <laughs> There's, there, there are all those things like the, you know, when I saw the swimming pool and like the volleyball, sand volleyball court and like just all these people like biking around and it has like a really infectious energy to it. Um, it was really, really cool. And at the time, the New York office was really small. So, um, you know, going to the New York office wasn't all that. I mean, it was, it was cool, but not like this. This was, this was really something. Well, it, it really evolved business culture oh, yeah. in so many ways. Oh my God. Yeah. If you've ever been to any tech companies and, and I, I've been to, to all of them, their offices look exactly the same. You know, yeah. they've all, you know, they've all sort of taken a page from, from the great work that Google's done in that, in that dimension. Amazing, amazing remembrances. So early on and, you know, this is such an interesting part of your career. You've worked on the brand advertising side and brand activation side um, across mediums through the evolution and really birth, uh, if you will, of YouTube. Uh, I don't know anybody who's had as much hard experience in that space, in the digital space of brand activations and brand management and brand development than you have. How did you get into that part? of your career, which has really dominated the uh, last 10 years or so. Yeah, so <clears throat> I have been working uh, in the retail space for about five years. And then we had, you know, we had, had the YouTube acquisition and I was like, I'm, I get, I, I could do performance digital marketing in my sleep. I really need to learn and understand the brand side of the house. And I was working with some of these big box retailers on brand activations, right? Like an Ikea, for example, running, you know, a really cool contest to win a, you know, a home makeover and people uploading their own videos and like started to do a little bit of that in my current job. And I was like, I really wanted to understand how YouTube worked, like every dimension of it and really understand brand advertising from brand advertisers. So I sort of moved over to the other side of the house to get some of that experience. I also wanted to, uh, get to know Google a little bit better. So I had this like really crazy job where I had moved into this role called the, the head of display, which was basically like a head of display and video for a vertical. And I did that for pharma, which was like, you know, pharma advertising is kind of its own, um, its own little ecosystem. And because it, it was so mired with regulatory challenges and working through those regulatory challenges, I, um, I ended up taking like sort of a second side job where I worked on, on policy across all of the US, which was great because it got me to, it helped me to understand sort of how policy decisions are made, working closer also with engineering to come up with solutions across Google. So you sort of start to like understand how the Google matrix works. Um, and then, and then I, I, I did some other, I did some other roles um, working across multiple types of brand advertisers and helping them come up with what their brand strategies would be if they were YouTube first, right? If you started with digital, what would that look like? 
And that was really, really, really fun. So in those early days uh, after the YouTube acquisition and you were out, you know, pitching for business, competing for business, what did the competitive landscape look like? Who else were you up against? <laughs> it looked like TV all day long. Like TV and TV and cable was were really like the big, you know, the big, the big players to go after. There were a lot of ad networks, like smaller ad networks, but what we would say is like, okay, well, you know, you can access those those ad networks um, through DV, you know, through through DoubleClick. So for a big, you know, big brand activation, it was either TV and cable. Or it was a, like an embedded sponsorship, right? That was our, these big brands all put in big sponsorship dollars. That's actually something I think that's been really, really interesting to see evolve, you know, over the course of the pandemic, because a lot of your traditional sponsorships just, you know, they just didn't happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everybody's got to find new ways to, mm-hmm. to connect. So yeah. let's just stay for one more second back in that, in that period, 10, 12 years ago. What do you think it was, Michelle, about YouTube that gave it the long-term gas to go Mm. and grow into what it has, an incredibly potent, powerful, global force and platform, the likes of which, you know, we may never see something of that scale that's new again in our lifetimes. I mean, we certainly can't rule out forever, but uh, there were so many others in that era who did not survive yeah what did youtube have back then that you saw that you know has given it that long-term incredible incredible potency i think that i mean youtube was for many many years just and still is it is the largest video network the ecosystem itself like the way that the the breadth i think it's the breadth and the depth of the content that can be found on youtube it speaks to such a wide audience whereas i think some other video players were really narrow in their audience in terms of the types of content that you were finding and the youtube ecosystem it just like it's fascinating like just to see different sub verticals sort of grow and grow and grow and as those verticals and the content grows the viewership grows And it just became like this, it's this really cool, organic ecosystem of great video content. And then I think that they did a great job monetizing it and using the best of Google, which is, first of all, you know that YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world to Google. The second thing is that they took, you know, Google, what they do, one of the things that that Google does really, really well is machine learning and algorithms. Everything is sort of built on that and applying all of that, those great ML algorithms to their ad products on YouTube. Like it's, it's, it's a win-win. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, And, you know, now it's all, I mean, uh, you know, you sort of have a certain image of yourself and, and for me, I'll always think of, you know, me growing up where I did in Queens with my Panasonic 13 inch, you know, black and white television that you would turn the, like this, you would turn the dials by hand. Yeah. Um, and there were, you know, five, six, seven channels. That was the whole thing. Yeah. Now YouTube is one of the channels, just like everything else. Isn't that something? I know. My kids can't even like, I mean, it's just, it's a whole other world. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Like my grandparents had a rotary phone. 
I know I, you sound so old when you say these things. I try not to say them, but, but I do think them. So you then evolve into this incredible role for about three years or so, uh, launching the brand activation team and really working together with all the parts of the ecosystems, the clients, the agencies, the agencies struggling to accept, I think in many cases, the new world order. That was around the time in the, you know, five, six, seven years ago when things really started to shift. Uh, and you started to see the agencies, some leading on their front foot, many on their back heels, trying to figure out the brave new digital world and the new way of going forward. Talk about the launch of that team. That must have been a very big responsibility working with some of Google's biggest customers. Yeah, it was, it was a really, that was a really fun, uh, that was a really fun period. I think our biggest challenge then was, so we worked horizontally across all of these, you know, Google's um, sales team is verticalized, right? So we worked horizontally across a whole bunch of verticals and the way that sort of their maturity in terms of their ability to embrace YouTube and think digital first really varied, you know, from, from, from vertical to vertical, somewhere like super leaned in, like the CPG companies, media entertainment really, really leaned in very, very early. Um, whereas, you know, some other, some other verticals a lot slower to the game. I think one of the things that we, that we tried to really help and advise on was how do you think about things like creative? How do you think about things like measurement on YouTube? Like all that stuff needed to be codified. So we were sort of doing all that, sort of creating all of those playbooks, working with these customers and figuring out like, what does your, and, and we weren't doing all of the work, right? Let me be very, very clear. Like Google is a massive matrix and there were tons of teams that we were, you know, we were, we were working with to help to codify what these things really look like. Everything from what is the strategy? You know, what are your business objectives? What does a creative need to look like? What should the media activation look like? How do you measure the media activation? you know, and then internally, how are we going to support that? Fantastic. And who were some of the particular clients and or agencies, you could answer any way you like, that you saw early on that says, they get it, they're going to figure this out and do okay? Um, it's a good question. I think I'm like, I'm trying to remember because it was like everybody. I mean, it was, it was folks like Starbucks, and then it would also be like, maybe you'd have a pharma company or you would have like Chase. So it was, it was everybody. And they were all sort of in very different places in terms of, of their maturity and what they were willing to embrace. But I don't know how much of that was the company and how much of that was the CMO going like, what's their, if you have a CMO that comes to the, comes to the table and has like a very strong point of view, like, no, we are going to do a TV led activation and then digital is just going to amplify it. Well, you know, it's going to be, it's really tricky to sort of convince everybody around them to go, maybe you should think about doing a, a digital first strategy. So, you know, a lot of it depends on, on the leadership at those, at those companies. Yeah. And I've seen in my own experience, it goes sort of back and forth, depending on, on who's run on the show. Yeah, no, it is a sort of a great narrative that emerges about you, which is that notion of leading people digital first. And totally. that, that early embrace, I, I, love, I love that. So let's stay on this surfboard uh, 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 just a second longer. You've now gone from riding with Google from a point when you were sort of emerging as a 
force in the industry. And now all of a sudden, these years later, launching the brand activation team, moving on to roles around performance and focus on education, you're now in a leadership position. That's a different part of the totem pole that you're now standing on. What was that like for you? And me, I always love chasing things and building things and being the underdog. It's a little bit different when you're all of a sudden, you know, almost 20 years into something and you're established. That's a different vantage point. I think that's what I enjoy about it now is that I am, um, I have so much more visibility into everything that Google is dealing with, like the the amount of complexity and, and I love it even more. I'm like, that's how you could stay at a company for as long as I have. Cause I, I actually have changed jobs like every three years or so, right? because I want to either, either I want to fix something that I think I need to like round myself out or I want a different view because Google, like Google is just, there's a lot there. There's a lot to learn. Um, and so, yeah, as you, as you move up a little bit, you have a much wider purview. And I think that that is like, it's so interesting. I love it. So one of the things that I've observed about Google over the years is, of course, the underlying technology is, you know, beyond my comprehension, but the company's ability to develop, nurture, and retain talent. Yeah. Take us, Michelle, behind the curtain there about your experience and what less broader lessons there are for business to be learned by how Google attracts, nurtures, grows, and and keeps talented people. Google is incredibly, incredibly thoughtful about just the notion of how important your people are. And I think that that is entrenched in all of the leadership. I mean, we, I cannot begin to tell you how much time I spend in trainings, um, whether it is around inclusive hiring or, you know, EDII, um, and how to be a good leader and how to be a good coach and how to like foster a culture of collaboration and inclusivity, like everything at Google, it starts with the user and it starts with their people. Like it is, it is, it is incredibly important. And it is a, um, when people leave, the first thing that they say is like the thing that I miss the most is the people. I mean, I have, I have really been through so much at Google and it has been, um, it's a really, it's a very special place. Well, that's a, and I'm like, I'm very, very, I'm, I really am very proud to work there. My, my kids will, I, I, I'm really proud. I'm proud of, of the work that the company does and I'm proud to be a part of it. Well, listen, that's a great, great testimony. So you also touch, we're in the age of masterclass, which I think is a great product. Yeah. And we're seeing, we have our own AW Learn, our own digital learning platform that we're spending a lot of time and effort on. Um, talk about the education space because you had some unique experience there also. <laughs> yeah, so um, I looked after, so education at Google is interesting because it's a many-headed, it is a many-headed beast. So I looked after the, the part that is essentially helping schools. So it would be traditional schools, it would be online schools, it would be what are called online program managers, which are basically these sort of I'm going to call them middlemen, but that's not probably the the greatest word for them that basically work on taking traditional schools 
taking all of their curricula curriculum and making it online friendly and then essentially doing all of the like marketing for them, uh, enrollment for them. They basically outsource how do you bring traditional schools online. I mean, the number of schools that are now online is, and this was pre-COVID, is just like, it's astounding. And it's of every caliber. I mean, there's Harvard and Cornell and, you know, some of the big ones like Arizona State and Penn State, you know, huge, huge enrollment numbers um, online. And that area as a growth industry, that seems to be one of the lasting areas where, uh, you know, COVID will have a most obvious impact, I think, is how we learn. Oh, for sure. Yeah, very interesting area. So let's uh, jump to the present. Uh, give or take two years ago, you move into a new role as the MD of Tech B2B. Mm -hmm. How'd you get there? And let's dig into Tech B2B. Sure. So uh, it was just, you know, it was an interesting horizontal move. I am, um, I will tell you one of the things that I talked a little bit about when I was in education and, and going with our theme of being digital first is um, I had built this thing called the EDU economic model, which was this idea that there was this whole part of the like of the EDU ecosystem, which is enrollment, where I said like, there are huge parts of that that should be digitized, right? Like all of this information that you are calling and trying to find out from like, kind of like inside salespeople, but in EDU, it would be like an enrollment rep. I was like, all that stuff should be digitized using something, you know, like an ML driven chatbot. So the idea of going, how can we take sales and marketing in like SaaS companies or enterprise companies and think about what those two things look like if you put them closer together and where can you digitize it was something that I was like already spending a lot of time thinking about. So it was like a very, very logical move for me. And if you think about some of, so I work with like large enterprise companies like, you know, Cisco and IBM and Oracle and Salesforce and Adobe, and then a ton of SaaS companies and, you know, uh, marketing is sale, marketing is software companies and web services companies and all kinds of stuff, cloud, um, especially in the enterprise space, they have huge sales organizations. And so this idea of how do you think a little bit about the effectiveness of your, of your salespeople when they can't necessarily go out on sales calls? How do you think a little bit about using things like digital to append and replace functions that might've taken a long time or where you can do something with digital? So if, you're, if you have a lead form or someone just wants to find out product information, do they need to call somebody? Probably not. Like in reality, they can probably find all that information online. And those are dollars that instead, instead of, you know, putting towards inside sales reps, what if you thought about like a lead nurturing processes where your consumers, because they want to spend more time online, that's sort of happening right now anyway, you would go, actually, what if we fed them all of this information and then we didn't hand them, hand them off to the salesperson until later, you know, later in, in, in the process when that salesperson could be more effective? because they're not having these like really sort of basic conversations with, you know, with, with potential customers. And as you're leading development of these strategies, Michelle, I wonder how much that early time going back to your change management days at Wrigley, I wonder how those processes and the foundation 
that you forged then, how that still helps you today. It, it, totally. I mean, it's, this is, I mean, di digital transformation is this idea of going, where can you use technology? What are the implications of using that technology? What are the, what are the technical problems? And then what are the adaptive problems? And then how do you think about mapping all of those things? Who are the people that are going to be really challenging? What's in it for them? Like all the change management principles totally apply. A hundred percent. It's a great foundation. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I draw on my own experience. I always put a lot of stock in the jobs that I did in, in my teen years, you know, working mm. I'm through my mom. I had my own chipwich cart one summer and I worked on the streets of Manhattan. My favorite ice cream sandwich for it the was record. Fantastic. <laughs> Chocolate and vanilla, only a dollar. It was fantastic. And chip, 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 which made 70 cents. I made 30 cents for everyone I sold. Oh my God. Uh, but I think you learn a lot when you work on the streets of Manhattan as a oh, teenager. Um, yeah. And uh, with much higher, uh, uh, you know, stakes of acuity. Uh, yeah. The same for you going from those early change management days to to where you are now. So digital transformations become one of those phrases that is said so often. And like most things, sometimes someone is really doing that. And sometimes they're pretending to do that. Yeah. When you look out in the landscape now beyond your own company and your own network of clients, who do you think is really, you say, boy, they're really doing a good job of figuring it out. And are there some industries that you've seen that you said, boy, I saw that coming. You know, they just did not get it. Oh, boy. Um, I think everybody's very much in the midst of it right now. And if they, if they weren't in the midst of it before, they, are, they all got a quick, swift, kick in the behind to, to do it now. I think that actually watching during COVID to see, I think COVID was actually a great test of who was able to pivot very quickly and who was not, right? So I thought it was amazing to see, you know, the hospitality industry who has been hit so incredibly hard pivot to things like curbside pickup. Like that's an amazing, like so, so smart. All of those companies that, you know, that went app first, like Uber's a great example, right? Now you have, you know, they really struggled, you know, with driving because of the pandemic. And then they really pivoted hard into things like Uber Eats, which really saved them during the pandemic. So I think they're, they're a pretty great example. But I think the people that pivoted and, and, and weren't afraid of change are the people that are coming up, coming out much stronger. It's the people that, that kind of like dug their heels in. Instead, we're transforming, the, but their business processes are exactly the same. I think they're going to find themselves in a world of hurt. Yeah. You know, it just occurred to me, your, your perspective here also is so germane. Your early days working in big box, I'm sitting here in our office right by Madison Square Garden and Macy's. Yeah. May, watching Macy's struggle and that store, that flagship store, on, on Herald Square, you know, the Thanksgiving Day Parade baked into American culture. You can see the year coming where they say, you know what, even though I think they actually make money on the parade, but let's just pretend for a moment they didn't. I could imagine, you know, them saying, oh, we can't do it this year. I think that's very possible. 
Um, I mean, retail has been retail has been very has been a very interesting one. Look at I mean, look at companies like Wayfair, right? Like, look at these companies. How many of them that started online and then moved offline? Right. It used to be brick and mortar, and then you build a website, and then we'd see, okay, what percentage of your sales is coming through, you know, through that website? And now you have this whole host of brands, especially that were launched during the pandemic too. Oh, Wayfair is much older. That that really started as digital only plans and now stores, and now are are, are physical brick and mortar stores. So, um, I think that's been super interesting to watch too. Yeah, I think history tells us, listen, some things will go away, but other things will emerge. Yeah. I mean, the idea that someone like a circuit, like this just like blew my mind that I was like, they have a hundred million dollars in revenue in 2008. And like, they, they, why didn't they just sell off all the stores? And like, they, I think there was like some conversation about them potentially just acting as their own e-commerce, you know, as a, just as an e-commerce electronic store. And they just, they just didn't do it. And I thought, well, I mean, look at like Neiman Marcus is a really interesting example too. They were, um, they were, they have a huge online presence they have for a very long time. And I think that while they have struggled mightily over the course of the last 10 years, their e-commerce sales have really helped to offset some of those, you know, some of those, uh, some of those losses during, you know, when, when people started to leave going to the mall or, you know, going to a, going to a store. Yeah. Such an interesting space. All right. So uh, I can talk to you forever. This is so interesting. Uh, Michelle, let's just wrap though. Talking about the very central role that Google plays during an incredibly challenging period of our lives. You're very uniquely providing your clients and customers with solutions and pathways forward at a time when the amplification of those needs you know, through a digital channel has never been greater. Talk about some successes there, the rewards of it, and how that must drive you day to day, knowing that you are indeed in a position to make a difference into people's lives. So when the pandemic hit, really, I, I thought that the way that everybody sort of rallied together at Google was this idea of just being helpful. And it literally was like, go to your customers, figure out how you can be helpful to them. And I'm coming from a sales lens and on the the non-sales lens, it was, you know, Google did an amazing job in, you know, in surfacing COVID information. So everybody understood where the numbers were, you know, where you could get tested. They started like launching testing sites in California. So I think what happens on sort of the sales and business side very much mirrors what happens overall at Google, this idea of like, how can we be helpful? And it literally was us calling all of our customers and going like, okay, like, how are things going? Where, how are you pivoting? What are you doing? How can we be helpful? Right. And in some cases there were industries where clients went like, like, we just got to pay the bills. We have to pull back. We need like brass tacks. What can we do as efficiently as possible just to keep the lights on in our digital marketing campaigns. And that's what we did. Right. And there were places in other businesses where like things started to go kind of, you know, really gung ho. And they were like, how do we capture as much demand as possible? But what is the right, like creative and messaging, right? You have to be so conscious in the middle of a global pandemic. Like how do you connect with your audience in a completely different way? So we were, we were helping to advise on that. We have, you know, Google has teams, amazing creative teams that were running all kinds of tests 
to give us really best practices that we could then share with our customers. Here's how you want to think about your, you know, here's how you want to think about your creative during, during this time. Fantastic. Listen, I, I think this was great. Was there anything else that we should have touched on that we didn't or Liz, I know your uh, ears are there. Anything you at all you wanted us to touch on? It's easy to talk. You're, you're a good interview. It's easy to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Liz, how? Okay. Okay, good. All right, Michelle, this was a joy. How old are your kids, by the way? Oh, I have a, uh, I've got a 14 year old son. He's going to play hockey uh, in Canada at prep school in Vancouver in a couple of weeks. And I have a 12 year old daughter who also plays hockey and is at uh, overnight camp in Vermont right now. So you referenced your kids earlier and then you quickly digressed. And I think what you were trying to say or may have been thinking about was that you, that your kids, you know, have a lot to be proud of and that you somebody's proud of somebody here. What is it that was swimming in your head there? It was that, I think, um, a couple of things, one of which is that my, my kids also emulate, I think, you know, hard work. You, you, if you play ice hockey and you play it competitively, like, you know what hard work means. Um, and also that Google has always been a place that I've been really proud to work. And I think my kids have been really proud of their mom for working there. Like, I think they always, they always thought it was really cool. I would go to like, they had like the local Chappaqua like STEM fest and I would be like, let's have a, let's have Google sponsor a booth, you know? And I bring like Google glass or, you know, something, something kind of cool. And they just, they thought it was really neat. And so I think we're all proud of each other. The value of someone with a good goodie closet is tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Great Minds, a podcast from Advertising Week presented by Think with Google. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to check out Industry Spotlights by Think with Google, available now on our website at advertisingweek.com/google. Mm-hmm.